Thanks for listening to The Vine's podcast. The Vine is a church in Austin, Texas, with the simple goal of following Jesus together. And we hope this message helps you in doing just that. But our scripture reading for today is from Lamentations 3, verses 22 through 26. Because of the Lord's great love, we are not consumed, for his compassions never fail. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. I say to myself, the Lord is my portion. Therefore, I will wait for him. The Lord is good to those whose hope is in him, to the one who seeks him. It is good to wait quietly for the salvation of the Lord. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Good morning, everyone. We are in a series that I have been absolutely loving called Godspeed. Uh, what, what inspired this series was a short documentary about an American uh, pastor who found himself serving in Scotland and all the different lessons that he'd learned in being dropped into a different context, as well as a book by a Portland um, pastor by the name of uh, John Mark. Uh, Comer, who wrote a book called the, Elimin- uh, the Ruthless Elimination of Hurry. Those two sources and our scripture and the way of Jesus really inspired this series about us learning how to live in a different way, breaking free from the frantic pace in which we're living in to find a different speed, God's speed. And here we are, we're towards the end of the sermon series, and we find ourselves here smack dab in the middle of summer. And I've found myself getting a little nostalgic with this as as uh, the temperatures are continued to rise. Do you guys remember summers growing up? Maybe it's the hot evenings, the baseball diamond or the softball field. Maybe it was that one or two trips to Six Flags or uh, Schlitterbahn or Wet n' Wild, whatever you used to do, or the daily trips to the community pool. Did anyone else their community pool, you have to stitch, your mom had to stitch like a metal little badge that you could get into your pool for free. Did anyone else have that? Just us in Richardson, Texas? Okay. I look back, and like, that means we only had one pair of swimsuits the whole summer, you know? It's so funny when you re- replay that, just riding around on your BMX bicycle with your pegs on so friends can hop on to that trip to the 7-Eleven. For me, I've just been thinking about summer a whole lot, and one of the main characters in summer was boredom. Do you all remember boredom? <laughs> For those who are older than 24, boredom used to be part of our normal life. (laughs) Uh, Like, if y'all don't have a memory of what boredom is, or if you've never experienced it, you can't recall it, imagine that your iPhone accidentally begins to update. And that means you have 30 minutes without it. Now, take that feeling and expand it for years. That's what it used to be like. Boredom, and it seems like so much of the modern life is an attempt to keep boredom at bay, like it's some toxic thing that's dangerous for us. We live instead in this age of constant distraction, constant noise, constant connection to one another. Uh, And for many of us, the most frightening sound that we can experience is the all-unfamiliar sound of silence. Silence. Ugh, makes you shudder, right? It's like we treat it as if it's something to be avoided at all costs. So instead, we have our background music, our Spotify playlist is ready. Instead, we have 
uh, ESPN or CNN or Fox or, you know, MSNBC in the background. You have your library of podcasts ready to fill that void at any moment. Because we just are, there's no room for silence. Even in the way in which, for us here in America, modern, in, in modern life, even the way we have our church services it seems like one of the most unfamiliar sounds is the sound of silence. Instead, we have, we have our own background music when people walk in. We, have, we work to make sure we have perfect transitions from one segment to another. We have d- uh, bumper videos to fill the void so people can walk up and down for the stages. And uh, the preacher, who seems to always want to talk quickly and never take a break, never take a breath, and this is what we do. Furthermore... I think this form of life is just taking its toll. A Catholic priest, uh, Ronald Rollheiser, he shared his opinion that (laughs) we are distracting ourselves into spiritual oblivion. That was his take on our life, is we are distracting ourselves to spiritual oblivion. Or if you will, take C.S. Lewis in his, one of his classic books, one of his classic writings, Screw Tape Letters. It was this fictional writing where, um, where one master demon, older demon, was training his pupil how to keep people away from God and keep people away from a virtuous life. And, and, and so each chapter is about, hey, deploy this, utilize this tactic, this strategy uh, to, to close off people from life and love in a way of knowing God. And and one of the things, in one of his warnings, he said, be very careful to make sure that people do not experience silence. It can wake up the soul. He calls it uh, for him instead. He says, the devil's realm is a kingdom of noise with the goal of one day perhaps to make the whole universe a noise in the end. Well, friends, we might be getting closer and closer to being there. Yet Jesus had a different relationship with silence and solitude. If you carefully read the scripture, you find that Jesus commonly disappeared. He loved to to be alone. He would slip through the crowds. He would just have a, a tendency to be alone, leave the noise and the pleas of the crowds behind. Even in the way in which the gospel's accounts begin, We find this. Jesus sets this tone right from the beginning, especially in Mark's gospel. Jesus lived, as we believe, for 30 years. He uh, lived kind of a a life in obscurity. We don't know much about it, but likely he followed in his father's trade of being a carpenter. And uh, then after a long period of time, Jesus decides to step out in the public. And he goes to be baptized by his cousin. When he comes out of the water, the clouds part. Light descends on him like a dove, and a voice from heaven declares, This is my son, whom I love. In him I am well pleased. And at that moment, Jesus is finally launched into ministry. Been waiting for years for this. And he's finally released. Okay, Jesus, let's get to work, right? And what does Jesus do? Where does Jesus immediately go? When he goes into the desert, to be tempted, to be alone for 40 days. That seems to be an odd way to start. (laughs) The word desert, this Greek word is eremos. It means more than what we might imagine when we picture like a Middle Eastern desert. It actually can be used uh, to describe these other different uh, experiences. It's a deserted place, a desolate place. 
And eremos is when you're solitary, when you're alone. Also, we translated lonely place, a quiet place, or wilderness. And Jesus had this relationship with the eremos, with the solitary, lonely, quiet, removed places in the world. Even later on in Mark chapter 1, after Jesus comes back from the Aramos, after he comes back from the wilderness, this is what he does. First day on the job. He gathers some disciples, and, and he goes to this place called Capernaum. And on the first day on the job, he went to the public square and began teaching. He cast out some demons, healed some people, and this is what we find in Mark 1, verse 32. That evening after sunset, the people brought to Jesus all the sick and demon-possessed. The whole town gathered at the door, and Jesus healed many who had various diseases. He also drove out many demons, but he would not let the demons speak because they knew who he was. So that's, this is what we expect Jesus to do. First thing on the job, get to work. People line up. Okay, we're taking numbers now. We have a big crowd, Right? And this is what Jesus does right after that. Verse 35, very early in the morning while it was still dark, Jesus got up, left the house, and went off to a solitary place. That word, eremos, a solitary place. Here it comes again, second time in Mark 1, where he prayed. Simon and his companions went to look for him. Come on, Jesus, we have a good following. He's picking up momentum. What are you doing? What are you thinking? And when they found him, they exclaimed, everyone is looking for you. Well, I love what Mark is sharing here in what, how he's describing Jesus' ministry. It begins with Jesus going into a solitary place, and it has this experience where he's serving and ministering and caring and teaching and healing. And what does he do right after that is he goes back into a solitary place. What we find here is this is the rhythm which Jesus lives, is that he finds himself drawing from a connection with his father, from being in the Eremos, being alone with God, being in solitude and silence, that this was not just like a one-time thing, just to check off the box before he gets to work, but this is in fact a rhythm, this is a habit that Jesus is showing us, is that for Jesus, he served from the place of solitude and silence. And if Jesus needed that, how much more might we, especially us living in this constant, digital, busy, glowing, loud context in which we are living in? Why do we despise silence? Why do we despise solitude? I mean, I'm curious if you were to take a moment and just describe what's your own relationship with silence and solitude? How would y'all respond to that? I think we need to treat silence and solitude kind of like <clears throat> we had a bad first date and we just need to wipe the slate clean. We need to be reintroduced. We need a fresh start with it again. Guys, this is silence and solitude. Let's give it another shot, okay? Can we start over again? Can we give it a second shot? So let's begin with silence. So much of our days are filled with the noise of our world, filled with the verbal requests from friends and partners and all the noise of surrounding our gadgets, that there's a gift waiting for us in silence. And there seems to be two different aspects of silence. One is there's the external silence, which is making sure that 
We have moments in our day where we shut out the noise of the world, where our phones are off. We talk to our roommates or whoever we're living with, and we say, can you just guard me for five minutes, 10 minutes, half an hour? Could you make sure that I get some silence in my day? And we ensure that we have that external silence so that we can seek an internal silence. What I mean by that is the silence where you're not just or not around noise, but you actually have a silence where you can turn inwards and turn outwards to God, where you acknowledge that God is present with you. And in that internal silence, you pray, you listen. You enter into this moment just to simply be with God and to remember that God loves to be with you, that God delights in your company. I love how uh, Madeline Engel says, the deepest communion with God is beyond words. It's on the other side of silence. There's a communion that we uniquely have with God when we enter into places with external silence. We begin to experience that internal silence so that we can have a different kind of deep abiding communion with God. So that idea of finding God on the other side of silence, it's so foreign for us. It so almost seems impossible in our day and age, but yet there's a gift there. And Jesus showed us how to pursue that gift, to find the gift that's found in silence. And I think that for many of us, entering into that kind of silence, it provokes anxiety in us because we're used to being in control. We're used to numbing out many of the questions that our souls have already embedded in them. But what if the words in our scripture reading from Lamentations is actually true? What if those words are actually true? Because of the, great, of the Lord's great love, we are not consumed. Many of us probably feel at the end of our days we feel consumed. <laughs> but because of the, great, the Lord's great love, we are not consumed. For his compassions, they never fail. They are new every single morning. God, great is your faithfulness. I say to myself, I love this, that this, the writer almost has to convince himself, hey, remember this. I say to, this, to myself, I try to convince myself of this, remind myself of this. The Lord is my portion, therefore I will wait for him. Isn't silence the practice of waiting? The Lord is good to those whose hope is in him. To the one who seeks him, it is good to wait quietly for the salvation of the Lord. It is good to wait quietly, to have moments of silence where we wait for the salvation that comes from the Lord. What if, in fact, the practice of silence is actually an avenue of God's giving grace to us, God's saving us? Silence is the practice of waiting, of seeking, it's the practice of faith, believing that it's good to wait before the Lord because God has, longs to give us this subtle grace that's found in silence. So that, that's silence, and that's one aspect of what we were talking about this week, but there's also solitude. I think that solitude's a little bit more fun to unpack because for many of us, we, this, is, this is deeply rooted. Many of us are afraid of being alone. Does anyone love going to restaurants by themselves? Does anyone? I remember in college being petrified of that. 
I remember in college, <laughs> I haven't thought about this uh, uh, in a long time, but I remember in college when I would go to the cafeteria, I would seek to find someone who left a tray at a table so that, like, it would look like, oh, they're, they're going to be right back, you know, they'll be right back. You know, I'm not, I'm not alone, you know. <laughs> Just the, even the image of being alone. I think many of us are afraid of being alone because we don't, we don't like that Eremos, that solitary place. It doesn't feel safe to us. Why? I think it's because we've um, conflated solitude and isolation. And friends, they are not the same. Solitude and isolation are not the same things. Solitude is not loneliness. It's not being isolated. It's not emptiness necessarily. It's finding fullness in God's presence. Solitude is not disengaging from the world as it much is seeking to deeply engage with God. I love how Christian uh, author Richard Foster, he wrote, loneliness is inner emptiness while solitude is inner fulfillment. When we practice solitude, when we practice solitude, this intentional time of removal from others is an opportunity for us to awake ourselves to God's presence. And if we are good at it, if we have this habit of doing it, if we remember God's presence when, when we're in that solitary place, that is something that we can carry with us the rest of our day when we're full of noise, when we're full of, of companionship, to remember that God is there too, wherever we go. German pastor and theologian who, uh, who served during... Uh, in opposition to Nazi Germany, Dietrich Bonhoeffer, he wrote this beautiful book called Life Together. It's all about community. And in it, he gave us this warning. He said this, let him who cannot be alone be aware, beware of community. He will only do harm to himself and to the community. But the reverse is also true. Tell him who is not in community to beware of being, of being alone. <laughs> what, what Bonhoeffer is trying to, seems like he's getting at is for those who have not yet become a friend to solitude, they will in turn have this propensity to damage community. It will lead to abuse in using community as an escape rather than finding the gift of community in itself. One, might, one must learn to be able to befriend uh, solitude before fully engaging and embracing community. And I love how Ruth Haley Barton, she riffed off of this in such a beautiful way. She said this, what Bonhoeffer seems to be saying is that if we do not take time rarely to enter into solitude and receive God's unconditional love as the constant source of our identity, calling, and belonging, we become dangerous in the human community. Why? Because we will attempt to get from other human beings what only God can provide. We will demand that the community meet our needs for love and approval and sense of self and whatever else may be missing. Then when the community disappoints us, uh-oh, here we go. When the community disappoints us, is unable to meet our needs or refuses our demands, we may become frustrated and take out our frustrations on those around us through gossip, manipulation, attempts at controlling others. We may accuse the community of failing us. and may even start projecting our inner lacks onto others in the community, blaming them for not meeting the needs that are not theirs to meet anyway. It's a pretty damning thing when you hear it like that, for, especially for us who um, have this 
issue with being alone, finding ourselves in solitude. Because ultimately, community will never be able to provide that which Christ longs for us to have in deep abiding relationship individually with God. Yes, of course we need experience community. Of course we need to find all the, the gifts that are being a part of God's church and being in community with one another, but they are never to replace that which has only been designed for us to find in God alone. This rich, intimate connection that we find in God through silence and solitude. Now, this is not easy. <laughs> this is not easy. I rem- I, this was made clear for me when I was 23. I was at seminary at Baylor, at U- University, at Baylor University. At, 20, at the age of 23, I was behind on my hours. I needed to get some classes if I wanted to graduate on time. And I saw that there was a course that was offered where you could get three full credits in one week. And I thought to myself, Whatever it is, I'm doing it. I don't care what the subject matter is, I'm all in. And then I found out that it was a one-week experience of silence at a monastery in New Mexico. And I go, one semester for class or one week? And it was like ripping off a Band-Aid. I'll do it. Okay, I'll do it. So me and a couple of seminarians, we jumped into a van and we drove out to Abiquiu, New Mexico and found ourselves at Christ in the Desert Monastery. Um, and it took like an hour down this dirt road to actually go to the monastery. When we drove out there, though, it was at nighttime. We were a little bit late. And so when we got there, there's this next picture. I was mesmerized by what was around there, but because of the light, we didn't really see where we were until the next morning, woke up, we found ourselves in the beauty of desert. I'm not sure there's, some people love like lush, de- like lush beauty. Some people love oceans. I find a unique beauty in West Texas and in New Mexico. That desert kind of beauty, I just absolutely love. That first day, guys, it was incredible. I woke up to being in this odd place in the middle of the desert. Watched the sun ri- rise. Went on a hike. Um, around these weird monks from all over the world who took vows of poverty, who would spend, most of them would spend every, every day of their life at that monastery, and that's where they would end their, have the end of their life be there. They would be buried there. They, it was such this unique experience, and all of it in the context of silence, other than we would share our prayers. Every once in a while, we'd go into the chapel, and we would sing our prayers with one another. And guys, at the first day, it was like, oh, this is so weird and beautiful and unique. Then day two came, and day two was, began to lose its luster and my hikes of by myself, my prayers in my little, my little cell, my little room became a little bit forced. And day three, the extroverted nature that I am started to flare up, and I started to feeling a little bit restless, a little bit anxious. Day four, guys, I had enough. I kid you not. This is so funny and embarrassing. I would try to engage with these monks who took vows of silence. Like a temptress, I would find them on their own and go, hey, hey, over here. Just, just, you want to chat? Just for a little bit. Just for a little bit. We don't have to tell, we don't have to tell anyone. Just, you know, like I just found myself like so just desperate for some sort of interaction 
Not only that, but as the week went on, my anxiety increased, my depression, my sadness, my boredom was just skyrocketing. I was not doing well. And I, I remembered thinking and praying about it, and just like this deep, long, I was just like, I am not meant for this place. Like, I am not a monk, which is true. But I also, what was coming to the surface is, I had this deep longing to connect, to engage, to interact, and I find it nearly impossible to find that satisfaction in God. That was my week, <laughs> was I am so unfamiliar with the Eremos when finding deep satisfaction in the companionship of God and the honest truth also is I don't know if I feel fully at home in myself. And I think oftentimes I use community and experiences as a means of getting out of myself. There's a gift of silence and solitude. And I'm not sure if that sounds weird. Maybe some of you can identify, like maybe you don't feel at, always at home in yourself as well. But there's a gift in silence and solitude. There's a gift that we begin to find ourselves deeply rooted and embodied here, here with God and here in ourselves. And I know I'm not alone, because I know messages like this might sound great, but for many of you, there is this disconnect from this, oh, deep, rich connection to God with being alone and in prayer, because I know many of you have shared and confided and confessed with you, with me, that you don't feel close to God. You don't even know what it means like to hear from God. Many of you share that you doubt God's nearness. You don't even know if you really believe. And I've had other of you say, when you look at your spiritual life and your connection to God, you kind of lean in and go, I just, Mark, is this it? First off, I love the fact that we're a part of a community that we can be honest with that. And secondly, I've been thinking, what if, what if it's not that God is aloof, distracted, distant, or is just a vapor, a mirage? What if this sense of disconnect that we have is actually trying to teach us something. What if that thing that we're experiencing is actually trying to teach us a different way? Or in Jesus' words, what if wide is the path that leads to emptiness and destruction? And it's so easy to find nowadays, and many find it, but there is a narrow path. There's a small path that leads to life. Friends, why does the path of perpetual noise and busyness and digital connection, and it's easy to find it, it's almost impossible not to find it, but there is a different path, a narrow path of silence and solitude that leads to deep abiding connection, deep abiding love of God. It is hard to find. You'll have to seek it. You'll have to be intentional with it, but if you do, it could save your soul. This is what the author of that book, um, John Mark Comer, he wrote. He said, if our theory is right and the problem is more our absence than God's, more about our distraction than God's disconnection, then the only sin solution is, sim is fairly simple. Create an environment for attention and connection to God. And now, and I know of no better place than the Eremos, than the solitary, than the wilderness than the lonely places. So this week, friends, let's experiment with this. Let's actually 
like, let's actually experiment with silence and solitude. And so I want to encourage you to begin by designated where your Eremos is. Where is your solitary place? It could be in the closet in your bedroom. It could be on the bench in a park next door. It could be in the, in the bench in your neighbor's front yard. I don't know. They probably are cool with it. Wherever it is, find your solitary place, the place where you can be alone, away, and mark it out as a sacred place, a thin place to meet with God. And then designate a time when you will seek to slip away from the noise and the busyness of the world, move through external silence into internal silence to find that connection with the one who's Christ. Now, warning, do not expect this transformation to come easily or naturally. We have been well discipled and ingrained uh, in this digital era, in this digital context. And so this will be awkward at first. Perhaps it might not even feel like it's doing much. But I promise as we slowly unlearn the ways of our, of our culture, we will begin to look forward to being alone with God. And though it might feel, oftentimes these might feel routine and ordinary experiences, I believe slowly and perhaps even unremarkably, you will begin to experiencing something profound in silence as it expands your soul, something profound in solitude as you find a new source of life for your days. I wonder if the spiritual breakthroughs that we're waiting for aren't, aren't existing in the dramatic moments that we might hear of other people's stories or even how we might read of scripture. I wonder if many of the spiritual breakthroughs that we're longing for are discovered in the slow, unremarkable way of silence and solitude, one that's developed from a habit that becomes ingrained in us where freedom and deliverance is found. So may we follow Jesus into the quiet place, into the lonely places, the deserted places, so we can find God's quiet and saving grace. Let's pray together. Rather than me leading us in prayer, I'd like to, for us just to go into silence with God now. Just spend a moment just acknowledging that you're breathing. Take a deep breath in and out. Remember that you're here. Of the many different names of God, one of them is spirit, and spirit can also be translated breath. So just take this moment and just take in God's nearness and presence. And I'm curious, what is your relationship with silence and solitude? Not only just in that practice, but also just silence with God, solitude with God. Spend some, just a moment here and just consider if that habit is in your life, what is your relationship with silence and solitude?
And if there's a dissonance between what you long for and what you're experiencing, there is a gap between what you hope for in your life and what you're actually uh, living, spend a moment and just share with God your desire for more, for more of a connection. Share your desire for a different kind of relationship with silence and solitude. Friends, I just want to finish by just, just speaking this truth over us. Because of the Lord's great love, we are not consumed. For his compassions never fail. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. So we say to ourselves, the Lord is our portion. Therefore, we will wait for him. The Lord is good to those whose hope is in him, to the one who seeks him. Friends, it's good to wait quietly for the salvation of the Lord. Lord Jesus Christ, I pray that we, we would learn the gift that it is to wait quietly for your salvation. For Christ, we need it. Amen.